Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Ogasha Galio Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week, it is one of those plus weeks because we're doing an extra special bonus episode on the recently released X-Men Legends number 12, which is a flashback to how Excalibur was formed. Sorta, kinda, we'll talk about it. It is written by our old friend Chris Claremont, penciled by Scott Eaton, inked by Lorenzo Ruggiero and colored by Rochelle Rosenberg. Nobody shall have the sword. Nobody shall wield Excalibur but me! So I thought what we would do today, it's a bonus episode, we'll just have a pretty loose conversation about it. We just have the regular team here, no guests for this extra special bonus episode. We usually record things a few weeks ahead of time, but we're in the moment this time. The comic just came out today at time of recording. I was lucky enough to get a preview copy because I reviewed it as well for ComicsXF. We will certainly link that in the show notes. But who am I? Of course, I am Dr. Anna Papard. I talk about sex and gender in comics, lots of places. Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager. You know the bit. I am joined, as always, by Mav. Give yourself a, a brief introduction. Hi, my name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. And, you know, I'm here to talk to you about the fabulous ongoing series Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. You remember Spitfire <laughs> and the Troubleshooters from 1986 through 1987? 13 solid issues of story you don't well that's how much people remember hard case in the in the harriers so uh yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> aside from that being and i you know honestly i don't really remember um spitfire that well either so like don't quiz me if you people are on twitter oh God, <laughs> it's yeah. just a joke but um uh you know you can also you can catch me on this show every week you can catch me i i, I host another show called vox popcast i teach at like three different universities but it's spring break for me so you know i'm i'm just kind of I'm, I'm i'm taking it easy this week spring break <laughs> does, it, does it feel like spring there there's still a lot of snow where i am no it's i i woke up today a good three inches of, i mean it was like 65 degrees yesterday and then today in the morning there were three inches of snow on the ground and i'm like where did all this come from what what is going on it was it just 65 like, degrees it, that sounds so yeah, warm i don't know what Fahrenheit it was is. no it, yeah uh, um <laughs> it's i mean it's not quite summer but it, it, it was it was very light jacket weather i should put that yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. put it that way for for all you weird metric i mean i honestly the metric system makes weird me much, yeah i know metric system <laughs> Makes way more sense. You're the outsider I, I, friend. No, I, I always, I always feel like when I'm when I'm defending like um when I'm defending American measurements like miles per, per hour metric system or, or um you know imperial imperial measurements because like at at this point you know the UK is not even like like so it's like but it's but I always feel like um like characters in Harry Potter who are trying to defend their system of money and they're like no because yeah. because that's like how how our logical stuff works but yeah um 65 degrees oh 18 oh my 18. god that's so warm yeah oh yeah 18.3 yeah it was uh, I mean it's light jacket weather it's not okay not free but like to, but then today three inches of snow on the ground like just overnight oh, that's, so, that's it, march for you yes yeah. andrew give yourself a little intro 
I'm Dr. J. Andrew Deman. I am a lecturer at St. Jerome's University and project lead for the Claremont Run, um, a, a big social media project about all things Claremontian, um, which also included archival research. Um, and my favorite, or one of my favorite things from Claremont's notebooks uh, is uh, for discarded story ideas, he would often get like halfway through something and then he would write, but what's the point? <laughs> and that would be like why he would get rid of it. Um, and I find myself asking that question of this particular comic, and I'm not sure I have a good answer. Uh, and I really want to like it. So I'm hoping you guys can convince me of something. I was so certain you were about to tell us that, and you read this script in the archives 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and long shot like, was in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was just like, yeah, it's like we, we were like, it got to page 12 of this story. And then it's like, and then hard, hard case shows up. But why? <laughs> and then it just stopped. Oh, that's actually true of True Friends, though. There is oh. a very early draft of it, and it's not a Kitty Rachel story. It's a Kitty Eliana story. Okay. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and that it, is and it interesting. Why? Okay. Awesome. Wow. Well, we, we've kind of given away how we feel about this. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah I, mean, I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Let's Good just talk about that for half an hour. No, I, I'm honestly, I'm not coming into this angry. I reread the issue. I've read it a few times now because, again, Stephanie Bird and I have reviewed it. And I don't know. I, I don't hate it. But it is this kind of thing where it got me thinking a lot about expectations for this kind of comic, right? And sort of how nostalgia factors yeah. into that. And especially mm -hmm. because we're doing a weekly podcast about Excalibur in which we academicize it. And let's mm -hmm. be honest, attempt to canonize it and attempt to make it seem super important because <laughs> that's our show, right? So mm -hmm. I just was thinking a lot about how much those feelings were kind of factoring into my expectations for this comic. And right. yeah, I don't have a good answer to that. I do think that there are specific things that I would criticize in this in relation to previous Excalibur that make this a weaker comic. Yeah. But at the same time, I do think there is kind of like an expectations being the enemy of joy thing going on for me a little bit. But we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. Let's stop and actually do a little summary of the issue just in case people haven't read it yet. I'm sure we're all on the same page before we have our discussion. And then we'll come back to some first impressions as per, as per usual. Listeners of our podcast will surely remember the general context of this comic, but just in case, Kitty and Kurt are gravely wounded during the Mutant Massacre of 1986, meaning they missed 1987-88's Fall of the Mutants, which they spent recovering on Muir Island. In Excalibur Special Edition number 1, more commonly called The Sword is Drawn, subject of our episode 0, released later in 88, Kitty and Kurt are still struggling mighty with their grief and physical limitations. Kitty cries desperate, angry tears while clutching a photo album of her dead friends. Kurt almost gets himself killed in a training simulator, fighting robotics pirates, of course. Kitty accuses him of wanting to share the X-Men's fate. Kurt doesn't deny it, and even kinda admits it in a later fight with Brian Braddock. Also relevant, during this era, Mystique was working for the government-sanctioned team Freedom Force, and Kurt did not yet know that Mystique was his mother. Or father, depending. This present story about the past opens with Kitty, Kurt, and Lockheed being mysteriously teleported off Muir Island to the vicinity of Forges Chalet, where a spectral version of Destiny explains the plot. Destiny says she can't stop Mystique from killing Forge out of revenge for the death of Rogue, or the seeming death, as you'll recall, Fall of the Mutants, etc. But Kurt can stop her, and must. Kurt, being Kurt, obviously agrees to help, but Forge is already protected by the Harriers. In case you don't recall, the Harriers are a G.I. Joe-esque paramilitary outfit who have basically appeared in two 90s Claremont comics with a smattering of obscure modern appearances. They are Battleaxe, Blindside, Hardcase, Lifeline, Longbow, Piston, Ranger, Shotgun, Time Bomb, and Warhawk. The Harriers attack Kitty and Kurt, assuming they're after Forge. Kitty gets taken out and Kurt's on his own. Teleporting way more than he should be able to do, he takes out almost all of the Harriers, but requires a last-minute rescue by Kitty before he's gunned down by Forge, who is actually revealed to be Mystique. Kurt collapses from the strain of his multiple teleports and Mystique cradles him in her arms? That seems out of character. Mystique agrees, but tries to justify it using some objectively ham-fisted dialogue. For reasons, Mystique agrees not to kill anyone and even makes a bargain with Forge to fix Kitty and Kurt's busted powers. We conclude the comic with Kitty and Kurt doing smiley training and then walking away from what is either a sunrise or a sunset, inflamed by the Phoenix Force. The sword is drawn, awaits. So yeah, that was that was the issue in a nutshell, and we'll get into some basics as we always do, but uh, let's start with some first impressions. And I know you were keen to go before I did the summary map, so I'll, I'll kick it to you first. I don't, I don't hate this either. It's not awful. 
it's just pointless. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> not, not, sort of This is not offensive. This is – okay. If I, if I want to compare everything bad to the Prometheum Exchange, nowhere near that, right? This is <laughs> – I'll be even more charitable. There were parts of Girl School from Heck, which, that I, which I hate, and there's parts that I like. I, I was always mixed, very mixed bag on Girl School from Hex or the Crusader X story. This is not as good as any of that, but it's not bad. It's just like, oh, okay, I, I guess Kitty and Kurt did a thing, kind of. It sort of kind of fits into the storyline, but not exactly <laughs> because, because no. well, I mean, moving ahead, <laughs> every week, the three of us and whoever we invite along go through and we read every single issue of this story, of this storyline, of this Excalibur epic. We've read them, we've poured over them, we've thought deeply about them, and we've you know devoted the last year and the next two to doing this. Claremont cr- clearly didn't do that with us. I mean, and I'm just, not that he has to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, I was, but, I was thinking that did. too, because it's fresher for us than it is for him. Yeah, yeah. At this he, point. Uh-huh. Yeah, he clearly, you know, he went back and he read Sword is Drawn and it's like, yeah, I can fit it. I can fit something in there. There's enough connective tissue that like I can tell that he was trying to get them roughly to where they were in Sword is Drawn, issue zero. But like, there's no way he read Excalibur 2 through 7 in order to write this because because <laughs> it, it it contradicts stuff like maybe he read issue one but yeah. it contradicts other stuff so well can i get you to do your first impression of it andrew because i feel like you're almost the most negative of the three of us and again i do have specific gripes am, yeah. that we can get into but but yeah go for it um okay so as mav mentioned it's, it's not perfectly in line with continuity i think for me it's not a fair bar uh, to try to compare Claremont today to Claremont at his peak. And this isn't just a Claremont thing. This is a like, like every writer has a tremendous period of productivity and some can stretch it out more than others. Uh, but for most writers, I would argue that like five years is a pretty good average for their, their peak. Claremont had a long peak. So I, I think for me, a good comparison would be something like um, New Mutants War Children which is yeah. very good. Like it's it's playing on the nostalgia. It's not as good as like the original Demon Bear Saga-y stuff, but it's hitting the right notes. It's creating a satisfying experience that works within the continuity and that feels like a love letter to that continuity. This text just feels additive to me. It's just, what if this other thing happened? But as I think some of us have already intimated, the other thing didn't have to happen. There's no bridging here. Uh, you're just throwing a bridge on top of an existing road, right? It doesn't, do anything if anything it's an obstruction and i think that for me is the problem and i, I know in our chat we had talked about this I, I wouldn't mind hearing mav talk about it a little bit more that like this would be so much better if we didn't have this weird caper like i would love to read just scenes of yeah, kitty and kurt yeah. chilling out yeah okay so i think it's not even just what andrew's saying it, it, that's part of it but for me it's not just that he's trying to force something into storyline where it doesn't belong He's trying to be this guy that he is no longer. And I don't even mean to say that he's worse. Uh, So, uh, yes, he had a period where he was Chris Claremont has done the most remarkable arc of anyone working for the big two in the history of comics as far as longevity. Right. Like it's literally it's literally him followed like the next couple of people are like Mark Grunewald and Stan Lee. Like right. no one gets as much time as on one book as he got on X-Men. So he got to live and breathe these people for a decade and a half. And now he hasn't done that in 25 years. I mean, he's been back here and there, but expecting him to be the same writer that he was not even, even if he were a better writer, expecting him to be the same writer that he was when he was, when this was his day job day in and day out in 2022 is not reasonable. I can't go back to my job. Like if I, when I was (laughs) 25 years ago, I was in, you know, in college, I couldn't go work my college job. I, I don't know how to do that anymore. So like, I don't think we can expect in, we can't expect him to do it either and, and get the same results. You end up with something different, which is not to say it can't be better, but this isn't because it's him doing an impression 
of his work from 25 years ago and it's mm. weird like uh, it's him going oh well maybe um maybe kitty and kurt would argue with each other except for they're on the wrong sides of where they probably should have been in their relationship with each other yeah. at that's that my point. gripe <laughs> and i and i know they are because in their very next appearance they have the mm. same argument but on the opposite sides <laughs> like mm. and he just doesn't know that because he didn't go and reread all that stuff the way that the three of us have and he shouldn't have to i'm not it's a weird thing like like the expectation of let's do this nostalgia project is weird because this storyline doesn't exist except for the fact that we want to sell the idea of chris claremont returning text caliber no one would publish this if it were if scott labdell wanted to do a random comic of the x caliber no of the era between x caliber and x-men for you know marvel marvel would go why you didn't work on that or if you know i don't know brian michael bendis you know or or hickman who's doing comics for x-men right now if hickman wanted to revisit this marvel would go why are you revisiting that you know do your thing for that you're famous for now that's what this feels like it feels like it's just nostalgia because we've got access to the guy but the guy is not trying to do anything interesting like i'd rather see chris's ideas like i would love to see what chris claremont did if you had to drop him in and force in i mean i know why i know he's hesitant but like if you forced him to like sort of write in his own voice about the krakoa era that would be interesting i don't know what it would be Mm -hmm. but it would be interesting yeah well i mean one of the things that i think is sort of interesting and i don't want to get conspiracy about it or anything but he did say claremont did say in an interview like about this assignment that marvel specifically asked him for a nightcrawler book Mm -hmm. and i did find that interesting just because in the past like two years there's sort of been i mean nightcrawler is like a perpetually popular character but people struggle with what to do with him and i don't want to talk about the current stuff but at the same time i do think a lot of fans are upset about the current stuff so i just wondered whether that was part of it at all because it is strange i don't think he has read the current stuff no i know for a fact that he hasn't (laughs) (laughs) so i don't think he knows any of that but at the same time that's for the best yeah, does yeah, he even is, know or is. care about because he's 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 aggressively in interviews and I, and as is his right, he's talked a lot about how he doesn't know and he doesn't care and he doesn't want to, right? Which I get, right? It it it, it would feel weird to have someone stealing his voice after you know yeah, all these he years. specifically said that it was too painful for him to yeah, see other so, people playing with yeah, his toys yeah. and that's and and you know it's always weird because you know are they his toys no they belong to marvel so he he got to use them for a long time but i get why he feels possessive right like it's a it's a human yeah, reaction yeah, yeah, for sure so like he's being honest about it so i don't think like my hickman assignment that i just said like make him play in john and, and jonathan hickman's universe and see what he does that's me being greedy as a fan because i want to know what chris claremont would do right like i want to know that but he doesn't owe me and he wouldn't take that job because it would hurt right like he doesn't he doesn't want to have to deal with krakoa because to him krakoa is a villain that he killed off and was done with people can be mean to claremont about that too they're like well it's a corporate yeah, property story though remember yeah you're right that's right it was right before he yeah it's it's in the past for him yeah that's a good point i wasn't yeah. even thinking about that yeah he but did like, technically yeah. come up with the resolution though the yes. anti-gravity thing with polaris mm-hmm. but yeah I sorry i know too are, much <laughs> no, that's good. We're talking Claremont today, so it makes mm-hmm. sense. But um, and, and just to be clear, too, when we're saying better off not reading the current era, don't mean the current era as a whole. There's lots of good books coming out. I'm reviewing Victor Laval's Saber Juice for Comics XF. So many good things coming out. Um, I was just referring specifically to the portrayal of Nightcrawler, which is something that we've criticized on the on the podcast before, uh, specifically surrounding issues related to reproductive rights. Um, but anyway, moving on. But yeah, I, I feel like I just I hear people be mean to him about it sometimes in the sense that people are like well these are always corporate properties like claremont is an idiot for thinking he owns these characters and i'm like yeah but those of us who are fans of claremont era x-men those are his characters i mean i can't imagine anybody being in that position writing those characters for all that time growing that entire universe which all the current stories continue to be based on and not feeling that possessiveness i mean seriously 
I think people who say that it's hard if you're not in creative field and I don't mean creative like comics. I mean, creative like if you are the kind of person who creates anything, who builds something for a living. Before I was an academic, I used to design software, you know, it's not creative in the same way as like when you know I've written a couple of comics. It's not creative in the same way as doing that. But like when I go and use some product that I worked on and it's different now, it bugs me. I go, why is it like this? You know, who made this change to this thing that I designed 15 years ago? And I can't, I have no right to expect it to be the same because, you know, progress happens and people make different decisions and you do feel ownership over it. That is the nature of work for hire. It's hard to let things go. It really is. Yeah, he's exceptional in that case, though. Like, he's credited with developing um, a style of comics writing called method writing, yes. which is obviously based on method acting. He was in these characters' heads. He he loved them so much. He took like Bob Harris. I'm sure most of us know this. Um, they didn't they didn't fire him. They they said Jim's gonna do the plots now, and you can still write their dialogue, which is like the ultimate insult to a writer <sighs> of his stature. And yeah. he accepted that. Because he wouldn't let go of those characters. He loved them too much. When he went on, he wrote a novel and he dedicated it to the first names of the (laughs) X-Men. This is is a really intense (laughs) um, connection that this writer had. I mean, what made him great was how much he loved these characters. So to have a company trade on that love and then criticize him for that love (laughs) thereafter is hypocritical. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if he has a right to them or not. He feels that way. He is a human being. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Outside of comics, there's another example that people might know. If you've ever get a, if you ever get a chance to listen to David Letterman talk about the Tonight Show um, now, like I mean today, right? Or when, however long it's been now, but whenever the thing went down between Jay Leno and Conan over when Conan O'Brien got the Tonight Show and then they took it back from him and gave it back to Jay Leno like a year later. And there's a, you can find it on YouTube. You can find David Letterman trying to give his take on it and trying to be fair to the situation and talk about it. And he's like, well, you know, I don't really have a dog in this fight, except that like you can just hear in his voice the entire time he's talking about it in the back of his head, he's saying, screw you both. That's supposed to be my show. It's supposed to be my show. Like, like, cause it just in his mind, you know, you know he was the guest host for the, for the tonight show. And he was promised by Johnny. Johnny is like, I am grooming you to give you my show. Johnny wanted him to have that show. And then they gave it to Jay because guess what? It wasn't Johnny's show to give. <laughs> and and like David Letterman had no rights to, to the tonight show whatsoever. He was someone who worked at NBC and they promoted somebody else. And that's how it is sometimes. But like he, you know, he feels hurt by it. I think that what's interesting about Claremont today, I mean, is that kind of human take that the the human take that makes him hurt by it, that makes him sort of makes people criticize him for loving too much or for not being able to move on. Well, okay, sure. But also it's that humanity that made life, death, a love story interesting. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah, or deep yeah. or demon bear or sword is drawn, right? Like sword is drawn is interesting because he is imagining in a very well, real way, the hurt that Kitty and Kurt are feeling from the deaths of these characters last month when, or, you know, for them. And then this story is trying to also do that, except for Chris has had, you know, 27 years to heal now and it doesn't feel the same (laughs) and i and i think that's kind of what's happening right it doesn't feel like it's supposed to i guess it's been what 30 years whatever it's been since sword is drawn this feels wrong it feels like an impression rather than honest in the same way yeah it's hard because i think the moment i did keep getting hung up on was that conversation with kitty and kurt that we already mentioned where kitty is like i don't want to be a hero anymore i'm not putting on my uniform and i can even buy that on a level like stephanie talked about in our review you know kitty almost died twice like in x-men and in the x-men versus fantastic four issue where she almost you know she has the suicidal ideation of she's just gonna let herself like disincorporate right Mm -hmm. and she sticks around because franklin richards wants to play with her and you know stephanie talked very eloquently about what a powerful moment that is i mean stephanie talks eloquently about everything but um but yeah so i mean in that context i can almost buy that but it's just 
Kurt being so calm about giving her that exact speech about being a hero interferes with two of my absolute most favorite moments in Sword is John, which are in turn two of my absolute most famous moments, favorite moments in all of X-Men. So, I mean, that is like a case of my nostalgia is getting in the way there, but I think I'm justified in critiquing it in the sense that what made the scene where Kitty yells at Kurt in the danger room in Sword is Drawn so powerful is that it is this young girl yelling at a grown man to grow the heck up. And that is so powerful. And it's very powerful in 1988. And honestly, that would still be powerful now. And seeing Kurt kind of Hmm. putting his hands on her lower shoulders and kind of she looks very childish in the image because she's got the bunny slippers on the nightgown. I was like, Which I do "Mm." kind of like the slippers. Oh, the slippers are adorable. The whole thing is adorable. Yeah. And the nightgown (laughs) is actually a callback. She was wearing the same nightgown when she tells Nightcrawler that the X-Men are killed. So I like those little touches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I want Kitty to be aggressive in those slippers, though. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because that's Kitty, right? Like defying expectations. And, you know, you can massage these things and be like, well, Kurt's just putting on a good show, whatever. This could be a moment that they had together, but it does interfere with that continuity. And then, you know, obviously, we've podcasted about this so much. And we've talked about the Brian Kurt uh, throwing Brian in the in the ocean scene a number of times on the podcast. But, you know, that seems so great because Kurt, following the experience of getting yelled at with Kitty, is sort of talking to himself about heroism and having that revelation. And if he already had the revelation pre that, <laughs> that scene doesn't really make sense in the same dramatic narrative way. And I mean, again, this is like me putting expectations on this that are possibly not fair because I'm so attached to a comic book from, you know, 32 years ago or 34 years ago now. But at the same time that's what this comic book is it's a legends issue set within continuity that is mortgaging my investment in that story to tell this story so am i being fair or am i not being fair no you are being fair because because if you don't have that attachment if you are not someone who's who remembers fondly the story from 30 years ago if you're not one of the listeners to our show right who the hell is this book for i know i know that was my (laughs) question yeah because because if you start if you started reading mm-hmm. if you started reading comics in 2020 with the Hickman run, right? If you start reading X-Men comics now and then you're reading this book, who the hell are these people? You know, why is Kitty 14 instead of 24? Why is, you know, like why are their powers broken? You know, what are they doing in England? Who are the Harriers? Like none of this makes sense unless you're an old school comic fan. This only works nostalgically so if you're gonna trade on nostalgia there are expectations of if i'm selling you nostalgia if i'm selling you member berries that's yeah. what it's for one of the properties that didn't work right like uh when when they remade ghostbusters this last year people were like oh my god that was touching it wasn't it was the same story as the first time it was like but with kids and then they just threw and they threw out the old guys every once in a while it's like hey look it's those people you recognize and it worked right compare that to the last time that they made Ghostbusters, there were two criticisms of it. There were the sexist criticism and screw those people. I don't care about them, right? But like the fair criticism that got lumped in with the sexist criticism of the, you know, the 2016 Ghostbusters was people were like, well, but this didn't give me the stuff that I wanted. And they're like, well, you just want it dudes. And I'm like, no, I wanted to be able to point at Dan Aykroyd and say, hey, look, it's Dan Aykroyd. Like that's, I mean, like people were really looking for that, right? Like, you know, why can't Mm -hmm. I, you know, Dan Aykroyd's in that movie for two seconds playing a different character. And then Bill Murray is in that movie for two seconds playing a different character. And why are they there? They're there because I want to be nostalgic of them. But then you've put Bill Murray in this movie as the guy who doesn't believe in ghosts, thus ruining the entire reason that I've gone to see Ghostbusters, right? Like if you're going to trade on my nostalgia for something, then trade on it and respect my nostalgia or give me something new. Either way, right? Like you can do a good new story, but like if I haven't memorized the Munich Massacre, this book doesn't tell me why they're together at all. Like I know nothing about this. I need to know that Kitty and Kurt are best friends in order for this story to to work because they don't really hang out that much today in today's comics. It's not not that they're not that they hate each other or anything like that, but they're not like best friends in the same book. Like, <laughs> their, their best moment has been when Kurt was writing letters to her while she was dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not. <laughs> There, well, there's, you know, the, you know, their characters amongst 50 right now, when, you know, when we read these before, it was my little sister Katchin, you know, like, and I, and this book needs me to feel that. 
I think one of the things that we should probably also factor in here is that this is a genre that Claremont kind of invented. The idea of going back retroactively in your continuity and telling interstitial stories that add nuance and complexity for an audience that has now matured from them. That's a classic X-Men. It's classic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he did it really well uh, in classic X-Men. And the stories were enriched by these accentuations. They explored the character. This is a kind of silly romp. There's character moments in it, but they are really condensed and rushed. Like um, um, the final scene with Mystique, where she just like starts telling you things uh, <laughs> yeah. i'm changed. i'm a hero i'm now. gonna be a hero ford shows up for one second curse you why didn't you kill me uh <laughs> because i'm changing you're changing too everyone's changing. Like that, that's not the way claremont tells stories mm-hmm. um at least not effectively so yeah no i i think a big problem of this is the setup of like the whole island adventure thing. You could give that to any writer. They can write you an island romp. We want the character interaction. And unfortunately, we didn't get enough of that. We also want Alan Davis. And there's something to be said about him doing the cover, but not the interiors. Which yeah, is, I know. Eh. I was actually, that actually didn't bother me that much. Uh, that was not one of the ones things I bumped into just because... Again, you know, Alan Davis has been for where we are in our regular show right now, Alan Davis has been writing books and not drawing them. So I'm like, okay, I can accept that this isn't Davis. And I I bump far more into the character bits. And like you just said, the rush stuff. I love that Mystique basically all but tells Kurt that she's his mom, but not for any good reason. She like walks (laughs) off the edge of it. And then she's like, and uh, I'm going to be a hero. And, you know, I care about you, but (laughs) this is, this is, this is a thing that I do like about it actually, which is that the last two times that Claremont has revisited Excalibur, he has been pushing the destiny and mystique are Nightcrawler's parents bit. Yes. Like he did the Marvel comics Presents story, interestingly called demon's choice, you know, because he wasn't allowed to do a Mystique in Destiny, Nightcrawler became the son of a demon. And in that story, right, he has the AU Destiny stroke Kurt's cheek and call him her son. And, you know, they're very explicit about it. And here, it seems pretty explicit that Destiny clearly thinks that there's a connection, you know, Destiny knows about the Mystique-Nightcrawler connection. Clearly, she's Destiny. But, you know, he's still, like, pushing kind of that relationship and the bonds between those characters. And that is something that I like, because I'm like... Don't give up that fight, Chris. You're coming yeah. back to the X-Men franchise. Throw that in there. I'm with you. I'm with you. Even if it's awkward, I'm with you. Although that said, I am pretty sure, like I'm 99% sure this is the only time 616 Mystique has touched Kurt in a non-violent way ever. <laughs> <laughs> it was really jarring because I love the panel where she's cradling him. It is adorable. And I'm like, so oh my much. God, hug, please just hug. I, I, I want it so bad. Badly, but at the same time, no, <laughs> that is just so out of character. It is like a fan fiction-y wish fulfillment thing. Like I would look at a fan art of like them having a family, but ooh, I don't know. It's just so out of character that it does a disservice to Mystique because it's not her. I also wonder, Forge, Forge shouldn't be in an X-Men costume yet. Yes, it's wrong. he should not. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that, well, I mean, yes, Forge does have an X-Men costume, but that doesn't happen for like two more years. In their, in but their that time. was just secretly <laughs> Mystique and Forge is wearing a callback outfit as well. The stripey right. shirt the with the short shirt. shorts. Yeah, I, I know. I, I, I did, but, why, but why is Mystique putting him in that outfit? What's I know, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, just, we should talk about Hardcase and the Harriers. I know I know well I mean that gets back to a question that I was gonna ask like getting all the way back to expectations again because we've all mentioned it that you know who is this comic for and what are the expectations and I think we all would have preferred I mean honestly what I would have preferred and (laughs) cards on the table I started a fan fiction that was this at one point um would be like (laughs) Kitty and Kurt recovering at Muir Island it would be like a hospital setting fic of them together recovering because he wakes up from his coma and like can he walk I mean probably not like there's got to be a lot of physical therapy that they had to do just to even get on their feet in a basic level and i would have liked to see 
their character kind of growing that way because there'd be a lot of tension there because, you know, we come into this story just assuming that Kitty and Kurt have this deep friendship and they had had a relationship established in Uncanny, but there was still a lot of distrust and difference there. And we talked again on our show about some earlier episodes of Excalibur where Kitty has the thought balloons like, I guess I'm the closest to Kurt, but I don't really know him that well, Mm -hmm. right? And so this could have been an opportunity to show how they did become closer because that would be such a stressful situation for Kitty. She's suddenly one of the only like sort of adult found family people that she has left is like kind of helpless and she's actually got to care for him in some ways and that would be an mm-hmm. interesting like reversal on some of their dynamics in the past too where you know Kurt was the medic in the X-Men and there are scenes from Uncanny of like him nursing her in bed and having to kind of have a reversal mm-hmm. of that I think could have been something interesting but again getting back to expectations which is the question I was originally trying to get to it's like we get this island romp with the Harriers who are just these G.I. Joe ripoffs that just exist to have names and get punched basically I mean that's what they originally (laughs) existed to do that's what they're existing to do here and again who is this for because the people who liked Excalibur and who are still interested in knowing about Excalibur now would have rather just had the conversations surely that is an honest question yeah Yeah. there is is no one on game setup yeah like, like <laughs> yes. you wake up on an island it's you and your compatriot your costume is beside you you see a mm-hmm. prophet floating in the distance <laughs> yes yeah in a, in a role-playing game it's like your other friends aren't here because they didn't show up to the gaming session this week so like <laughs> so you just tell it. like that's kind of none of this makes any sense it feels like one of those kind of, and I'm saying all ages here, and it's going to sound like I'm saying that in a putting all ages stuff down because all ages stuff can be great, but it does sound like or feel like one of those kind of all ages Marvel comics where it can just appeal to everybody and they just kind of do a basic inoffensive action story you know like just to sell the general idea of the characters and i'm like that is such an odd choice again given who this comic is supposedly pitched to i I defy any of our listeners to just just tweet at us write in you know at me tell me what your favorite harrier story is no one has one. There isn't one. No one has a favorite. I mean, like, they've got, like... Well, there, there, there's, like, two. Appearances. Yeah, well... <laughs> no, they... <laughs> not, way less than that, Matt. I looked it up. It's, like, two. <laughs> oh, is it? Well, uh, well, I mean, including including modern stuff, because I know they appear... Like, Blindside appears randomly yeah. during um, Civil War. Just, like, when they're doing those things of, like, here are some names on a wall you might recognize, and you don't, because no one cares about these characters. It's one of those things that Claremont likes to do, which is... And my other favorite writer of the time i've said this before i'm a i'm a huge mark grunwald fan and grew had said this grew did not believe in wasted characters if somebody exists in the marvel universe that has this ability already let's use them rather than come up with a new one which is why where the score jet thing comes from there's a lot of this in captain america and claremont to a lesser extent like to do that hey here's a thread that nobody cares about from 12 years ago let me do that and that kind of works when you're going to be doing the next 40 issues of x-men you're never writing these people again why are we revisiting the the harriers no one cares this is not going to be picked up you know and it's like oh my god blind spot has been or whatever her name is has been knocked out battle axe has been knocked out i guess i'm supposed to feel sad except for i don't remember who they are yeah i know they're just they have those gi joe names right but right. like, like a huge yeah. problem with them is that there's so many of them, right? Like, I mean, Claremont has <laughs> yeah. brought back weird characters before, you know, like the Crimson Pirates and stuff. He's like, it's just like, I'm going to use the Crimson Pirates. I don't care. And I'm like, yeah, at least there's only like four of those. You know, <laughs> there's not like this many of them. And like to give the individual Harriers names and panel space in a comic book where we could have had Kitty and Kurt conversations and like a better exchange with Mystique. It's tough. It's a tough choice. And the Harriers in particular is a concept, a paramilitary joyful team that has mm. not aged well. I don't <laughs> like this idea of this bomb guy just blowing people up in the jungle. Like, oh God, are they it's, joyful? I, I don't. Even they're realize. they're pretty gleeful. I mean, a lot of I the mean, time they have a lot of banter. Yeah, but I don't know. They're just they're this is nothing. They're there because they were names that he remembered. It could have been the Marauders just as easy, and that yeah. would have been better because there are Marauder stories that I remember, and I don't remember which one's which. But like, um, I don't know, Bone Crusher. That's a Marauder, I think. That would have been fine. That is I a don't reaver. Know. <laughs> reaver. Okay. I, yes. Oh, see, I'm there so you sorry go. For knowing that. No, but that's, that's the problem. Okay. Yeah. The Marauders are the Marauders are Arclight and Scalp Hunter and right, like and um, and Harpoon maybe. 
And I think yes, I think there's a, was a marauder. Maybe there's a vertigo, but it's not the vertigo from the from who knows, right? Like, I, no, there is a vertigo. Like, Sadly, I am the answer to that question. I am the yeah, one who knows. But, but but see, that's <laughs> but 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 that's my problem, right? There were and you said there were marauders, there were reavers. I confused the two of them, and neither of those are the harriers. <laughs> but they might as well be. Like none of this matters. You know? I, just, I feel like it's becoming like, and again, I'm like. <laughs> I did write this fan fiction, so I feel like I'm doing this. But it's just that, like, I can imagine the story being a set piece set on Muir Island where perhaps one of the marauders comes to get them and then they have to sort of escape with them being injured as they are in the confined space of Moira's lab or something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm I sorry, that. but that would be better. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm if sorry it's the marauders, to rewrite the story, but yeah. If, if you want it to be a fight, it's interesting if it's the marauders because the marauders are the ones who hurt mm-hmm. them in the first place, mm-hmm. right? that becomes oh my god like now now i've got trauma like if i if i'm kitty Mm -hmm. and i and i wake up and i see harpoon staring down at me the person who's responsible for me being in the state that i'm in that's terrifying now i can have a moment if i'm kitty i don't know who battle axe is or piston or whoever (laughs) (laughs) who are these people i don't i've never heard of this person before shotgun piston ranger you said they're just rejects from G.I. Joe. She doesn't know she doesn't know who any of these people are. So her growth doesn't make sense. Similarly, like their emotional growth gets them to a place that they weren't actually at in Sword is Drawn. So they yeah, don't have to regress. Yeah, yeah. And their power growth, like Forge fixes them, but doesn't fix them all the way. But like yeah. Kurt can teleport better in this story than he could in Sword is Drawn. But like Definitely. at the end, they fix him so that he can teleport even better. But he's like, but it's going to oh, take me more time to get up to up the speed. Mm-hmm. And 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 Claremont doesn't remember that like that got fixed a different way. Right. He doesn't remember that Kitty was getting better. She's like, Kitty's like, oh, I'm trapped in a ghost light state now. But you were already that happened in Uncanny, not here. You were actually doing better at Excalibur. Like by the time Excalibur started, I'm like, what is going on here? I feel like he didn't reread his own work. And again, does he have to? No, but then this assignment doesn't make sense for him if he's not going to, right? Like when he did those classics, the uh, X-Men classics that um that Andrew's talking about, there was so much attention to detail. Like oh, yeah. X-Men, X-Men classics, there will be books that like this happens between panel seven and panel eight. And this, and you'll go and you go, damned if it could. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it absolutely could. I'm like, you're like, wow, you put a lot of work into this because this, you know, remember when Misty Knight was Jean's roommate? Well, I do. I'm going to make this work. And there's whole arcs of X-Men classics that do that. And you're like, yeah, all right, this this scans, sure. And this doesn't. This just doesn't work. I wish we had a little sense of the... Sorry, go ahead, Andrew. Well, I was actually going to um, turn it to you. I, I was going to ask, because I, I think one of the themes that gets foregrounded is um maybe a little bit of trying to cultivate Kurt's sense of faith. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't really have a strong read on it. I, I was wondering what, what you thought of that in terms of Kurt's portrayal in the story. In later Nightcrawler stories, Claremont definitely inserts more little words about faith, like to make the character adhere more to how he's changed in the 21st century. I definitely noticed that in the in the 2014 Nightcrawler solo that he wrote. Even though Nightcrawler, to me, when Claremont writes him, still sounds like Nightcrawler. I mean, I'm not bothered by Kurt saying something like, I have faith. That is totally something he'd say. My only gripe about that kind of stuff usually is that people sometimes simplify what faith means. Like, they're like, oh, well, it, it's faith because he's devout to a certain doctrine of Catholicism. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, also he has faith in existence in a broader sense and his faith is very idiosyncratic in particular to him. And that's all I ask for in terms of that kind of portrayal, because I do think he's a very faithful character, but he's faithful to something like the dream of the X-Men and he's faithful to his friends and he's faithful to a lot of different things. So in terms of the conversation he has with Kitty here, I think it makes sense. But yeah, um, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a conversion story here too. Right. So I, I think the faith connects to that. Uh, mm-hmm. in terms of mystique i don't, I don't know like I, I it just i think it's something as you said he's explored later on i'm not sure this is where kurt was in excalibur but mm-hmm. I, like it didn't bother me that much i don't know i just wanted to to hear what your thoughts were the one line that did kind of stand out to me as being a little bit off was when kurt says and he doesn't actually say this actually just in a thought bubble about kitty or two kitty like bless you child 
he is not a priest, and he definitely wasn't a priest in 1988. But beyond that, the paternalism of that bothered me. You know, we've talked on the pod before when we talked about the Wild Wild Wheels uh, manga issue, and the two of you went really hard and acting a little bit paternalistic there, and how out of character you thought that was. And to me, just kind of the way that a line like that situates Kitty as an innocent child that he has an obligation to protect. I just, mm, I know that doesn't sound negative on its surface, but still, there's just an element of paternalisticness to that. And when you combine that with the priestly religious context, that gets doubly emphasized. So that particular line wasn't my absolute favorite, but not enough that, you know, I'm up in arms about it or anything. It just stood out to me as something that bugged me a little bit. That's all. But I, I had more thoughts about the teleporting than anything else because that definitely also bothered me and again in terms of the disability narratives that you know I was hoping kind yeah. of the story might explore because you know I'm going right back to that you know sword is drawn danger room sequence again right and the fact that Kurt falls down after a single teleport and can't get up and is going to get killed because he can't stand even the first time I read that and I didn't read it in 1988 I read it you know 12 years ago that was shocking then like to see him that helpless. And I think that that's really important. I think it's important to show superheroes struggling with legitimate disabilities in general. It's sort of especially relevant in some ways for, for male superheroes because of some of the masculine myths bound up in the superhero genre. And especially because in the context of that particular scene, Kurt was enacting a macho fantasy of being a swashbuckler with like mm -hmm. <laughs> robotic musketeers. And then he falls down and can't get up. And that yeah, is disruptive yeah. and that is intentionally disruptive. So to see him teleport, like he teleports like eight times here, which yeah. we've been talking a lot about his like disability and teleporting on the podcast. And that to me, it was done because they wanted the fight to happen. And it's easier yeah. to do the fight with Kurt teleporting than to come up with a more creative way to do it's, it's easier even just from an art perspective. Oh, we can just have Kurt go over here and beat up another Harrier. And that was hand wavy and it did bother me. And again, I'm not trying to be too gripey about it because like I feel like I'm getting more and more negative about it the more we talk about it and I feel bad <laughs> but, <laughs> the I mean, opposite it, of what I wanted <laughs> yeah. I know I know but it's it's hard because when you get into really analyzing it that's like what happens right because you can't help it and again just in the context of us working so hard on our analysis of Excalibur for so long and well but see, here's the thing it wouldn't have bothered me if I weren't trying to insert it into a very specific time period, right? If this is not a X-Men classics, not an X-Men legends, this is a lost tales of the X-Men. There was once a time when I'm going to replace Kenny just to make the story. If I say there was once this time where Kurt and Peter were stuck on an Island recuperating after an injury in the past, right? Now I can tell this same story. And it's fine because I'm not trying to insert it into the into the Excalibur narrative. It could have just been any random time Kurt and Peter happen to be recuperating on vacation together, right? It becomes weird because since I know I'm trying to fit it between two very specific issues of X-Men and Excalibur, I want it to match up in order for my nostalgia to work. And it can't. Like the, the teleporting, because yeah. he does have an injury here, right? Like what we see is we see him teleport eight times, but I must because I have to save Catchin. And now I'm and now and now I'm exhausted. And I'm like, oh, and and if I didn't know that he should be dead, then I go, wow, at least that was heroic. He pushed himself to the limit in order to save Kitty. But since I do know where it's meaning, the limit should have been two. Two should have been the limit, yeah. right? Like one should have been a lot and two should have been like, oh my God, I'm dying. But there are eight here. And so now I'm like, oh, how, you know, how limited is he really, you know? Well, yeah, but I mean, even look at what you just said, like he forced himself to get over it and did all of this to like save a girl. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, so I guess he was just able to be the macho heroic stereotype that he was subverting and sort of strong. Like, it's just that that's right. frustrating, right? Because it's just right. like, okay, well, so he's much. just, yeah, I know. Because I mean, you know, I'd accept it if it wasn't in the context of that. But you're just like, well, his gender was way more complicated in 1988. If it were Kurt and Amanda in a some random story, you'd be like, oh, my God, he did this for love. Right. Like, it, like it's mm -hmm. because it's it's because you want it to match up to certain sword is drawn. If you didn't know when this happened and it was just like, wow, he pushed himself, then it's heroic. But it falls apart because the nostalgia that they're selling it to me in breaks. Mm -hmm. Like, that's mm -hmm. what we can. So uh, e even simpler one. Right. For no apparent reason. I, and I well, I know what the reason is. The reason is because they're trying to show that this is a younger, petulant, tantrum throwing kitty. Kitty has Lockheed burn her costume. 
nothing comes of it. And the next time I see Kitty, she's going to have a costume. Because <laughs> so like she has a costume back. It sort of is drawn. But there's a point where in this story where she's like, oh, I'm never wearing that costume again. And Lockheed torches it for her. OK, so how come she has the same costume and sort of drawn? <laughs> If this were the Ariel costume or something or the Sprite costume, sure, I guess. But it's not. It's the Shadowcat costume that she will wear again. So why bother to burn it? It doesn't make sense continuity wise. And the answer could be uh, they're the X-Men. They've got more than one outfit each. You know, like that would be <laughs> fine. But like, I shouldn't have to ask that question. Like that question is only put about because you're asking me to do this nostalgia exercise. And I wouldn't, you know, it makes me ask more <laughs> questions than I have answers for. Andrew, yeah. has Kitty ever seen Irene not in costume? Because they're like, oh, that no. looks like Destiny over there. I'm like, does it? I mean, it does to me because I've seen her before. But do you know what Destiny looks like no. without her mask? Does Kurt no, know what Destiny looks done, like without Unless her mask? they've been like briefed and have seen, you know, crime photos, crime photos, uh, <laughs> criminal <laughs> yeah. profiles of Destiny that include real photos. Uh, maybe. OK, because she's like, oh, OK, that's I don't know that Kitty and Kurt know what she looks like. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. that was weird too. I mean, you know, I mean, the whole like, how the heck did they get teleported to the island is like a whole exactly. other like. I've been touching it because I'm just like, whatever. It's not worth complaining about because it obviously makes no sense. And but they get like, home. Yeah. yeah, somehow. Well, I mean, Forge probably has a plane to fly them home. The Harriers certainly have one. But mm -hmm. then, if that's the case, you know what? If if they if they have Forge's number in his plane, Kurt really should have called him when Kitty and Megan and Rachel got kidnapped. That would have been a thing to do. <laughs> you know, there, there's a, there are a lot of questions here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like a lot of it. I just I do wonder how free Claremont would be to even tell yeah. the story that he would want to tell. Because, I mean, again, I just keep coming back to them. You know, Marvel saying we want a Nightcrawler story. But what does Marvel say when they want a Nightcrawler story? They're like, we want a story where like Nightcrawler beats up the Harriers. They don't want a story where they, Nightcrawler they is learning how to walk Harriers. again. Right. <laughs> like, no, they no have, I'm sure they, they that's for the Harriers, right. but I mean, I think that they want like an action story. They don't want the story that I'm pitching, where like again, Kurt is like slowly learning right. to walk again in the hospital right. with Kitty's help. Even though I, I mean, personally, I think that's a bad call because I think that's what the fan base for this particular comic would have preferred. But I'm not Marvel, yeah. so. And that's what he's done well in recent years is intimate character mm -hmm. studies. Because I enjoy Kitty and Kurt in the in the bar in like the in the X Men Gold Annual, like the pre wedding issue. Like I mean, it wasn't yeah, life changing or anything, but it was but it was a nice moment between the two of them. One of the great Kitty Kurt hugs. I think about it all the time. I wonder. I mean, we're being unfair a little bit in that. <laughs> well, okay, we are three old people How who we are. I'm the and I, I'm the I'm I'm the oldest, and you know I'm an old man. Looking at the glory days of the comics of my youth, right? Why are what why, why aren't they why aren't yes God now it's just depressing. <laughs> but but like I mean we're making the argument of you know why aren't they giving me the comic that I want as an old guy who not as only as an old guy an old guy whose job it is to look at comics academically, right? If I'm a twelve year old fan of Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler, maybe it's kind of cool to see them beat up some miscellaneous armory guys. And but yes. like if that's the case, why again? Then I don't want Kitty. I want Kate Pride because that's who she is today. Or I want to yeah. make this in the X Men '97 universe. Like I don't know who it's for. If I'm hiring Chris Claremont, like that's just not this universe anymore. Like I get why there aren't more. I like really talky comic books. Comic books about people with ungodly superpowers who never used it, use them. Instead, they sit around and play baseball. That's awesome to me, right? Like, like, like show me a book where, again, my favorite episode of superhero television ever is The Defenders, episode four, where they have dinner at a Chinese restaurant. That's all that happens. I love Breaking Bad, the, the episode where they fight the fly. This is the kinds of things that I like, but I'm a weirdo. So <laughs> am I just saying that, you know, why aren't you making more artsy, smart people comic books that I want? But I don't know because I don't know what the sales figures are on this. I just can't imagine this really sold because because it's so particular to this moment from 30 years ago. Like, well, again, it's so it's so weird because I would think that it's just an opportunity you'd think to have as much sort of freedom to tell whatever yeah. story you want to tell. Because like the thing that's selling the comic is the fact that it's got Kitty and Kurt on the cover drawn by Alan Davis with the Excalibur logo. Like that's what's selling the comic. So like 
technically you could put anything in it. The people who are going to buy the comic are going to buy the comic anyway. Yeah, it's it's anachronistic, right? Because I mean, what we've been talking about, like, like this isn't Claremont when he was in his 30s, this sort right. of came, came out of nowhere writer. This is Chris Claremont, who is still alive in his 70s, a rare writer of comic books, exactly as you said, Mav, who has achieved a, a very impressive level of critical attention in recent years. So why not let him write a book that reflects his current status? You know what I mean? His current stature, not let's do another kind of romp book, like maybe the very, very early X-Men issues that he wrote in the 1970s before he was really even at his peak. That's what I find strange about it. Lean into the man's legacy and let him write stories for an audience that now sees him in that light. I mean, yeah, and it's so hard to know, right? Because it is really easy, I think, as fans to be very critical of any writer because we assume that they've Mm -hmm. got control over what they're writing, but realistically, they often don't. And I mean, even somebody of Claremont's stature being invited to come into Legends, I mean, again, we know he got told what to write. I mean, we don't know that he got told to write the specifics of the plot, but we do know that there were things, there were checkboxes Marvel wanted to check. Which, again, it's fine. I mean, they won, right? They got us to talk about it for an hour. <laughs> like, I know. like, I mean, that's that's the point, right? It's like, hey, we have created something that you know there was some interest in it, I guess, but it just, I don't know. I feel like it could have been so much more. I don't know which direction they should have gone. I can think of several they could have gone, and all of them seem more interesting than this. Like we're, we were, I feel like we were hard on it. I don't think it was bad. It just seemed pointless. I mean, nothing. <laughs> mattered yeah. in this if i never knew this existed no hole in my life there's this, you know <laughs> it, this feels did, did anybody see solo a star wars story and it answers all these questions that you didn't have about gave up on it halfway solo? through yeah it's like <laughs> right it, and that's and and again i actually people were really hard on it. i don't think solo a star wars story is actually bad as a forgettable summer blockbuster mm. aimed at nine-year-olds it's fine <laughs> wow <laughs> Yeah, no, oh, no. Have We're you seen taking it? down everybody on this show. I know, no, have you seen so it? So grumpy today. I haven't seen it. No. I haven't seen it. No, I mean, I like. I watched it. It has a really cool space uh, um, heist of a train in space. I loved it. I'm like, this is awesome. The only thing that's weird about this is that they keep calling that guy Han Solo. And I don't know who he is, but he's not Han Solo. Why is this Han Solo person? And he's like, well, and he explains how he got the name Han Solo, which is something I've never wondered. I just assumed it was his name, but apparently they wanted to explain it. And like, if they hadn't done that, if they just made a story about, you know, Lance Spaceman smuggler and watched him like do a train heist in space, that would have been really interesting. And the movie gets really weird every time it stops to remind me that it's in Star Wars. It's like, hey, here's a Star Wars thing kids you know and it's like stop doing that because you're getting in the way of telling your story compare this to the mandalorian which i love mandalorian's been amazing because mandalorian's a star wars story and most of the time it doesn't care they waited two years and they're like okay fine luke skywalker lives in this world it's fine (laughs) you know but for the most part it's just like you know there's we're telling a story on the corner of the universe other stuff's going on at the same time and that's fine if claremont had done that i would love to see a story if they say hey, tell a story about Nightcrawler from back in the day. Give me an interesting story about, you know, him going to, you know, visit Amanda Sefton and saying, look, why, you know, you're healed. Why aren't you coming home? And him explaining why he's not. <laughs> give me, give me a story about, give me a story about Kurt. We we had that missing comic where Kurt and um, Kitty and Excalibur call the X-Men for the first time. And it's like, okay, we'll really call them. And then like we, you know, we got to see them meet the fake X-Men, but not to have have the real conversation. Let me see that real conversation, right? Let me see Chris Claremont's take on what exactly happens when Kurt and Logan go out for the first time. And then Kurt decides, no, I'm staying in England. I'm curious about yeah. that. Well, Show me that. I just thought like, it. I just thought it was funny that you mentioned the Amanda Sefton thing, since it gets back to editorial interference. Because I'm pretty right. sure this is true that Claremont was told he had to kill her because they wanted to get rid of the foster sister thing. Okay, and but that's like, why they, that's why we don't mention her anymore. <laughs> but but they've but they've they've since let him do stuff like you know what was his series from a couple of years ago where he's like picking up from the X Men as though he'd never left and and X-Men he's like forever. I, 
Yeah, X-Men Forever. And X-Men Forever, they let him kill Wolverine for real. And I'm like, yeah. okay, so they, so, which they were never, you know, he says that that was his intention. That's what I was going to do in 1992. And it's like, I don't care what Chris Claremont says. Bob Harris was not going to allow him to kill Wolverine for real in 1992. Bob Harris would have killed Chris Claremont before he killed Wolverine for real in 1992. It, you know, that was a cash cow. It wasn't going to happen. So he wasn't really going to do that. But if you're going to allow him to tell a story out of time, if you're going to allow him to tell a story in 2022 about the past when it doesn't really matter, give him free reign, let him do whatever he wants. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't imagine he wants this. Cause it why, why don't, why don't we end on a positive note <laughs> by trying to come up with like some moments, like if we can come up with moments that we did like in this comic, cause honestly I did have a little bit of that good nostalgia feeling. And like, you'll see from my review, I'm pretty positive about it. Like I have, yeah, kind of things to say about it in the review but you know like there is just like a kick of like i just saw my friends again they did feel mostly like my friends even though there were moments that i was unsatisfied with you know i didn't hate it on that level and there are a few moments i like it here i'll go first my moment was <laughs> the first the first teleport with kitty and kurt is really a lovely image you know she's wrapping her arms all the way around and you know he's got his head kind of buried in her hair and they look so desperate in that image and i think the tension i had there too like knowing his powers are broken and we do see some consequences of that like i think that particular moment was handled quite well because mm -hmm. what happens is that they teleport and in order to like hold her like that she has to go solid which is very very difficult for her so when they materialize she's in bad shape right and he's in bad shape too although again it would be better if he continued being in bad shape because it would make more sense but still that individual moment I'm going to hold that panel close to my heart. Uh, I would go with, um, and I mean, this is, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little and criticize it slightly, but um, <laughs> I, I kind of like, because Claremont likes to insert weird physics and considerations into his X-Men stories a lot. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's uh, a lot of that here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The idea of Kitty has to be left levitating a little bit so the rotation of the earth doesn't push her into a rock. I was like, yeah, that's a very Claremont thing to do. That's yeah, cool. I mean, it's, it's out of Claremont place thing. in the story, yeah. <laughs> but... I liked it. Not how physics work, but okay, sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did think that was interesting as well. I had this, I had a similar one. This comic remembers that Kitty and Lockheed have an unexplained psychic connection, which Chris Claremont mm -hmm. had forgot. Like mm -hmm. by the, by the time Chris was writing Excalibur, he had forgotten that Kitty and Lockheed had an unexplained psychic connection. It never, it really doesn't come up very often in Excalibur or if at all. Um, but it did come up from time to time back in the X-Men was never explained this, that I know of has since gone away. That's kind of neat. That happened. Um, I also like seeing Forge, even though he's he does nothing and amounts to nothing. I was just always a big Forge fan. I like <laughs> so, Forge. So it's like, oh, Forge is in this kind of. OK, that's neat. <laughs> oh, are you going to eat those words when we get to Phalanx Covenant? Because <laughs> no. he's in that. <laughs> I, I stand by what I said. I was okay. always a big I was always a big Forge fan. I didn't say that Phalanx Covenant was good or useful. <laughs> I said I was always a big Forge fan and I oh, continue fair, to be fair. here today. <laughs> cool power. I like I, I again, I like thinky books. I like people who have powers that don't do fighty stuff. Like Forge has a power yeah, to make yeah. stuff. That's kind of neat. <laughs> no, I'm 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 with I'm with you there. I mean, yeah, I don't know what how should we how should we wrap this discussion up? I, I feel bad for how grapey we've been, but I am curious about kind of how the audience will feel about the comic i think that people will be disappointed because people will have high expectations for it but i think that there'll also be joy to be found in it i mean that's sort of where i'm at with it but i don't know that's like kind the of a lousy wrap bad. up maybe but yeah no, there, <laughs> the mean? writing is not the story's dumb but the writing's good does that make sense it's still chris claremont writing x-men which is something that you don't get to see very often and mm -hmm. you know how many uh, i mean he's old and he doesn't really work there anymore so how many times are we gonna <laughs> i mean he works there when they when they decide to hire him for a one-off right so how many more chris claremont x-men stories are we going to get that's neat i like it i uh, i'm not sad that i read this i just I wish it was a better story because I want something to matter from it. And this is just kind mm -hmm. of a inoffensive. Oh, okay. Well, Kitty sounds like she sounded when she was like, I like that. She has that tantrum, even though I think the tantrum hurts her having to be suddenly adult and sword is drawn. I think the tantrum hurts in the overall narrative of where this book starts 
it needs to be, it reminded me of when she used to do that on the regular back in 1986. Mm -hmm. You know, like that was neat, right? Like it, 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 it feels like he hasn't lost a step. So I'm like, oh, it's kind of cool. And I, and I do wonder whether our listeners are enjoying it or not. Like a nice thing about our show is like thus far, people have been not shy about telling us, no, we like that. You guys are wrong. And, and you know, yeah. if it's wrong, let us know. <laughs> like, like, and, and, and that's how, that's how that gets a criticism. No, I think I, that's not a criticism. I kind of like when people disagree with us and like talk to us about it and explain to us why they disagree on stuff. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So, so I hope there are people who are like, oh, no, you guys are you guys are old grumpy people. This is yeah. I found I found joy possible. in this. I, I want to hear somebody <laughs> finding joy in this book. That'd be great. Well, Andrew, can I get a final thought from you about? I mean, when you encounter a book like this, how does it factor into your overall study of Claremont? Like, I mean, does it interest you to see him returning to the X-Men or do you kind of exclude this kind of thing from your consideration? Well, I mean, it's a question of headcanon, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which is kind of a big thing. I think one of the things that I've kind of taken away from my giant study of Claremont is that Chris Claremont wasn't just Chris Claremont. You know what I mean? It was, mm -hmm. yeah. Chris Claremont was Chris Claremont, Louise Simonson, Anna Senti, yeah. John Byrne, every other penciler, Glynis Oliver, Tom Orzechowski, and um, a wonderful niche circumstance that he found himself in. So yeah, I, I think that that's variable. It depends on who we're talking to. Um, but the band's not together for this one. And I think that's reflected. But for me, the big sort of takeaway is just the criticism that we're, we're bringing to the table and the criticism that fans might innately bring to the table to this one is dependent upon the fact that the older material that this is drawing from was so good. Um, yeah. So it, yeah. it kind of makes me reflect on that. And that if I am being a cranky old man uh, in, in talking about this because it doesn't meet my expectations, it's because my expectations were blown up so incredibly high by a legendary run on comics. And, and this is a tough one, too, because I think the being a cranky old comic fan thing, there's a stereotype of that where the cranky old comic fan, like, thinks that the comics from the past were good because they don't remember them accurately. And in fact, they weren't that good. And mm. I was like, no, actually, Sword and Drawn is really, really good. And it yeah, is still yeah. really, really good. And, yeah. you know, we're not we're wrong about we, that. We just read it a year ago. <laughs> I know. I mean, I know. See, I, and, I, and the things I said at the very beginning, like, like, like I, I don't think we can expect him to go through and read everything everything i think that we've been very fair on this show criticizing okay the three of us are big fans of claremont we're big fans of davis and when things yeah. don't work i certainly have been like no davis is not doing his best work here you know like i i'm perfectly willing to do that i'm willing to say claremont's done a good job he's not doing a good job i'm not particularly a scott labdell fan but there have been points <laughs> where i'm like no this is a good book like i i've said that about yeah, labdell's work yeah. right you have I've said that about about everybody's and this is not horrible it's just kind of meh. And I think just based on what, uh, on again, my interaction with our fans, I think people appreciate when we are honest about our opinions on something. And this is honestly just kind of there for me. I'm like, oh, okay. Chris Claremont got to do another X-Men book. That's neat. Yeah. That's yeah, where I'm at exactly. with it. I'll end on one more positive note, which is that I do really like the final page. You know, the the panel of them in silhouette with the sunrise that could be the sunset and their distinct silhouettes are there with Lockheed. That is a heavily nostalgic image with the Phoenix, mm -hmm. you know, Phoenix sunrise Force. or sun, the Phoenix Force in the background. That is a heavily, heavily nostalgic image that definitely did succeed in hitting me right in the feels. Maybe that's a good note to end on. My king, I couldn't do it. Excalibur cannot be lost. Other men do as I command. One day, the king will come, and the sword will rise again. Thank you again for joining us for this extra special episode. Join us next week when we will have a brand new episode about an old comic, <laughs> as we usually do. <laughs> Back to our regular schedule of talking about the past. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, don't forget to like and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com, where we've got some fun extras, and via Twitter at goshgollywow, where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras. I'm definitely going to do a little Twitter thread of some of the Alan Davis swipes from this issue. So you got that to look forward to. Oh, cool. Thank hmm. you, Andrew and Mav, for another gripey, but ultimately mostly joyful conversation. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. And a special thanks to Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our truly epic theme song. Play us out. <laughs>